0: Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If there is one question that the team at Insight222 get asked more than any other by CHROs and other senior HR executives about people analytics, it is, what are the best companies doing? So, in the study we conducted with 184 global companies in our recent people analytics trends research, we sought to answer this question. We found that leading companies those companies that impact business value to a higher degree than non-leading companies, display seven key characteristics. One of those seven characteristics is that the people analytics function in leading companies have a strong focus on scaling people analytics to employees through personalization and productization. So, in today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Ian O'Keefe, Head of Talent Analytics and Data Science at Amazon, Where Ian and I will be discussing how to productize and scale people analytics in order to drive organizational success. With a wealth of experience working in people analytics leadership roles at companies such as Google, JP Morgan and now Amazon, Ian has witnessed firsthand how as people analytics teams mature and the need for insights expands, a product mindset becomes essential. So, Today, we have the privilege of tapping into Ian's wealth of knowledge, where we will be exploring the key principles and best practices of productizing people analytics, the role of experimentation, common use cases, and how HR leaders and people analytics leaders can successfully implement it in their organizations. So, without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Ian. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Ian O'Keefe, the Global Head of Talent Science and Analytics at Amazon, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Ian, welcome back to the show. Obviously, we we did it, we recorded an episode back in 2019, I think it was, when you were at JP Morgan. Um, can you share with our listeners a little bit about, about yourself and, and, and your role at Amazon?
1: Sure, David. Thanks. Good to see you again. It's been a while since we had that pre-pandemic interview in 2019. I guess in short, I've been in uh, analytic roles uh, for 20 plus years, leading people analytics teams for the past 10 to 12. I started my career in uh, human capital, quote unquote, um, in consulting at Deloitte and, and some other boutique firms. Uh, then went on to a, a couple of different corporate roles and spent time in different sectors in financial services at American Express and JP Morgan and retail at Sears Holdings. And and more recently uh, in tech with uh, Google, and now uh, more recently with Amazon, where I'm leading down analytics.
0: And as you said, Ian, you, you've been in the field for quite quite some time and worked with some very prestigious organizations as well. And I'd love to hear your reflections on, on how you see that the people analytics discipline has evolved over, over your years um, working in it.
1: You know, I've always worked at the intersection of, of data, process, transformation, and, and technology. And uh, I think people analytics has kind of evolved uh, in in kind of concert with those three uh, spheres, if you will. But uh, over the years, I've I've seen well. I, I guess I'd point to like three big themes that I've seen. One is uh, related to the talent uh, of those uh, in people analytics and where they're coming from. Right, like I I think historically you've seen people analytics practitioners come from uh, HR centers of expertise like operations and tech and the like. And uh, fast forward the tape to, you know now, I think you're seeing uh, you're still seeing some of that, but more and more you're seeing uh, teammates come from uh, data teams in a lot more and the mature functions of the organization like marketing and pricing and supply chain optimization and things like this. So uh, I think the talent funnel has definitely broadened. and, and you also see that in, in education, by the way, right? when it comes to, uh, undergrad and graduate level university uh, degree programs more and more in analytic and data science, and you see MBA programs even uh, having infusions of statistics and kind of uh, the more analytical disciplines that we would have hung our hat on for the past ten years. So uh, I think that's all. That's all positive, and I'm I'm really happy to see that. Uh, the second theme that I would point to is what I would just call kind of generally breadth. So the types of organizations that are in people analytics, uh, if you were to go back 10 years ago, I think you would see generally very large, high margin organizations with technology at their center were at the vanguard of, of people analytics and still are in many ways. Now you have uh, organizations from pretty much every sector. And you also see organizations uh, at, at midsize and smaller size org starting to invest in people analytics single person teams, small kind of uh, tiger teams that are taking on some of the uh, the challenges of you know foundational uh, data that we've we've seen and and talked a lot about over the years so I think the the breadth of organizations that are getting into it has definitely widened and then the last thing I'd point to is the the depth of uh, complexity of problems that people analytics teams are solving and the solutions that are being generated so, if you think about the way that we have uh, always had mathematical and statistical depth uh, right at the center of of people analytics teams, I think you're starting to see more and more those uh, skill sets and those focus areas being augmented with product design, with technology integration, and having that be not a nice to have, but more of a a force multiplier for people analytics teams as they think to scale and deploy their their solutions throughout the organization. So I think the adjacencies when it comes to operations and tech that people analytics uh, has worked alongside for many years is starting to blend and even in some ways become part of people analytics teams uh, organizationally or or strategically. So that's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, yeah, I, I
0: agree with all of that and and actually obviously we're going to be spending quite quite a lot of the time today talking about productization and and i guess you know part of that is that you know the insights and people analytics or the benefits of people analytics may be reaching more people in the organization than maybe it reached 10 years ago you know maybe it was a bit more of a white glove type type of service for, for for senior people within the organization to give them insights hopefully support better decisions but you're right i mean the way it's transformed in the last 10 years is 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 incredible i know when jonathan and i were writing the book you know we, we could see that you know that the growth has been significant, and if anything, the pandemic helped accelerate it
1: even further because suddenly this book you mean that book yeah yeah, <laughs> that yeah, book. yeah. it's on my desk for quick reference uh I think you, you say it well in the book that people analytics is not about analytics, it's about the business and i would i would I would tweak that to say that it's about the business and it's about the uh the employee experience the people that are driving the business every single day going direct to them uh, with helpful information and recommendations and all the things that can be uh, triggered and derived out of people analytics uh, at scale vcb products is uh, an exciting development i think in in recent years that we've seen so yeah. before we
0: get to that you know i'm going to take advantage of the fact that you've worked you know for some of the leading companies in people analytics or certainly with big teams you know, Google and JP Morgan mentioned, but also obviously, obviously at Amazon as well. And you've seen various different people analytics team structures and, and operating models, you know, for listeners, what are the different types of operating models that you've seen? And, and, and how is your team organized at Amazon?
1: I think there's this age old question of starting a team analytics or otherwise, uh, when you have component parts already present in the org, to what extent do you Decentralize or or leave certain things decentralized. So uh, I think we've seen a number of uh, operating models depending on you know the org and and I don't think there's any right model. To be clear, uh, people analytics teams reporting to the CHRO has clear advantages and 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 also disadvantages depending on where the real kind of opportunity areas and and the and the problems are uh, from a data and a systems and a tech perspective so i think leadership is really really important that's a forehead slappingly obvious statement but uh the the hr leaders that uh, can help incubate and and kind of curate the capabilities for people analytics they need to be analytical and analytically literate but we see that uh, in some orgs in compensation we see that in talent we see that in operations uh, and 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 we see that at the at the C at the C level as well at CHRO level and such. So I think uh, where the the team reports into is um, is very important, but it's important to align that that structure to uh, where the opportunities and the problems are, are most pressing, where you can get the most velocity and momentum. Uh, other organizations like JP the. Org- that I built and led uh, was uh, we centralized uh, more or less the entire kind of HR data model into the workforce analytics team there. I think an overarching uh, philosophy that I've come to really embrace at Amazon is two is greater than zero, but one is greater than two is greater than zero. Meaning uh, if there isn't a solution to your problem, two versions of a solution arguably is better than no version of a solution. Uh, So if you have two projects or two teams or two whatever working to solve a problem on behalf of the customer, that's pretty hard to argue with being bad. Uh, ideally, you need to get to one, I think, to uh, kind of manage ongoing and, and not have uh, different versions of the truth and different versions of a solution out there. Uh, but uh, I think when it comes to the, the federated versus centralized uh, argument, uh, it's helpful to bear that uh, two is greater than zero except when one is greater than two is greater than zero in mind and not to get too hung up on that
0: and I guess you know in, in many respects what whatever structure you have within your people analytics team it needs to reflect how the company is organized you know so if you if you're working I know I know when I was at IBM IBM's quite a centralized organization so mostly quite a centralized team sounds like it was similar at, at JP Morgan but Amazon I mean Amazon is an enormous company isn't it you know and it's grown rapidly in the last few years. So, you know, trying to centralize everything in Amazon
1: probably wouldn't work. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, I, I think you need to meet uh, whatever org you're in, leading a people analytics team, you meet, need to meet the org where the org is. And if you have a preconceived notion of how to structure the, your own team uh, to get the maximum result, and that's out of sync with how the org operates, uh, the, the way that the operating principles are, have kind of been uh, in and out of hr in the business you're you're going to be probably setting yourself up not so well so i think you need to meet the org where the org is
0: and thinking about again not necessarily talking just about your current experience but but what what are some of the advantages of of centralized and decentralized models in, from your experience obviously you worked in several organizations and i guess there's good things about one and then there's good things about the other but but yeah it'd be good to hear some of those actually
1: yeah, I think, I think decentralized formats give you the, the benefit of having embedded experts close to uh, the different processes and programs and businesses that ultimately you're trying to serve and improve. I think there's an increased coordination tax that goes along with that. It creates more kind of matrix-based complexity uh, where that gets, uh, that's less so in a centralized format. A centralized format gives you the benefit of having perhaps a, a singular uh, technology and analytic thesis across the entire HR data model. Which, if the org is ready for that, uh, that's uh, that's a, a certainly a, a viable approach. If an organization has data production from X different products and Y different systems across Z different geographies, maybe a centralized format isn't where the org is uh, at the moment, and need to think about how to understand the problems locally to then solve them maybe centrally and globally before you centralize so I, I think it's not a it's a it's not one or the other all or nothing i think you have to think of it uh, on a on a kind of a, an arc of of evolution and, and treat it as a journey this series of the
0: digital hr leaders podcast is sponsored by worklytics generate actionable insights from work data while protecting employee privacy using worklytics data streams Worklytics combines passive listening with organisational network analysis to help you understand how work is getting done, so you can identify bottlenecks, improve collaboration, and increase employee engagement. Curious to see how it works? Worklytics is offering a free meeting effectiveness analysis to the first 10 qualified companies who express interest. Tell them I sent you by going to worklytics.co Forward slash digital HR leaders. That's W O R K L Y T I C S dot co, forward slash digital HR leaders. As I said, I'd like to spend most of the time or the rest of the time talking about two things experimentation and productization in, in people analytics. I know these are topics that you're passionate about as well, Ian, as well. So for the listeners out there, you know, what does experimentation in people analytics mean at Amazon? And, and why do you think this is such an important element in, in people analytics and, and, frankly, HR in general?
1: Yeah, let's let's talk about experimentation in HR, generally speaking. Let's take a minute first to reframe the notion of experimentation in HR. I think over the years we, we've heard, uh, this word kicked around and uh, it, it's created maybe at times like somewhat of a visual reaction, like experimentation in HR and on the workforce. That that sounds creepy. That sounds like an overstep of the, the social contract that companies have with their employees, a, a breach of trust. I think a guiding principle when you think about uh, testing something, experimenting, testing, is that you do no harm. You can't introduce a policy, a process, a program, product, anything that would create an adverse impact to one group and a more positive outcome than another. Again, this is uh, hopefully at this point in the people analytics space uh, a very o- obvious thing to say. But experimentation, I think, when you kind of look at it from a like a do no harm standpoint, like well, what does it mean? I think it really means that you're giving people more choices. Uh, you're creation you're creating variations on information that's helpful for people, um, and you're working backwards from. The managers and employees that you're trying to serve to create a more personalized, helpful experience for them to bring their best to work every day. Uh, so if you think about working backwards from managers and employees and then testing you know what might be useful for a particular uh, persona or cohort of managers to receive uh, when it comes to uh, making hiring choices or putting people up for promotion or making compensation administration decisions, or thinking about the like the equity, of talent outcomes within an organization, these are all really, really important in some way. One way door decisions that you you cannot get wrong, and I think a lot of times people analytics teams can uh, get hung up on uh, what's the single best way to to solve this problem and to do this. And we can we can debate decimals all day long. And uh, when you think about, for instance, the most compelling, engaging metrics on. The workforce and team to put forward to managers on a monthly basis? Easy example, right? Probably can agree on 90% of it really quickly, and they could spend months debating 10%. Why not create variations on that 10% that do no harm, that don't kind of stray strategically from some of the the needles you're trying to move and measure, uh, but measure the actual engagement of one, two, three, slightly different variations on a data product. That ride the rails of a singular technology infrastructure and stack. You can do the same with content and words that might be in a recommendation uh, that appear to someone in a transactional workflow that might suggest that the data shows that uh, X, Y, and Z are true of employees who are similar to this person you're looking at. What's the psychology that you're trying to kind of instill in that recommendation? Are you trying to instill action, thoughtfulness? immediacy, urgency let's test a couple different versions and get the feedback on what our customers think is the right way or the wrong way to do this while doing no harm and you can You can draw up a number of examples when it comes to data science uh, approaches and assumptions. We have I think found that technology availability and uh, and cost uh, and complexity uh, has uh, come way down in years. Um, Conducting experiments sounds like a really time-intensive, daunting thing, and it is uh, time uh, invested. But I think if you test three versions of something in a way that does no harm and creates more choice and personalization, you get feedback and you can test, learn, fail fast, and create some implementation momentum in the process. So I think in my mind, that's what experimentation is all about. It's about choice and it's about implementation and momentum. And by the way, meeting people where they are by hearing from them,
0: and I'm guessing as well an important step towards productization as well, because you don't want to embed something and build something, you know, potentially for for either the whole organization or certainly a significant part of the whole um, organization without understanding. You know, oh, people are people going to use it number one number two does it give you the does it help you achieve the outcomes and the employees the outcomes that they're trying to achieve so it's it's, it's an important step in in the whole productization process as well isn't it
1: critical absolutely critical when you're're pushing a, a model into production and then programming and pro- product treatments on top of uh, uh, whatever that model might be uh, signaling or triggering um, you should experiment with the words on the screen and the thresholds at which certain recommendations might be pushed to people i think you do that in a way that uh, is transparent uh, that's uh, traceable auditable uh, that uh, creates again more choice i think it's a it's a very good step to take from a change perspective and it's a necessary one to take from a productization perspective which helps us move
0: nicely to productization ian you know so I, I was recently at the Wharton People Analytics Conference and, and Prasad SETI and Dawn Klinghoffer were in the opening session and they were reflecting back on the previous 10 years of, of people analytics and looking forward to the next 10 because it's the 10th Wharton People Analytics Conference. I know Prasad is one of your erstwhile colleagues at, at Google and he highlighted four key skills for people analytics. Funny enough, consulting, data science and behavioural science were the first three. And then a product mindset was the fourth. His view, which is backed up by our research at Insight222, is that a product mindset enables people analytics to scale. And I'm pretty confident that you're also a firm believer in productizing people analytics. Can, can you explain what productization of people analytics means to you and means to Amazon and, and why you believe this is such a critical
1: component of, of scaling people analytics? The one word definition of what it means and why it's important is, is scale. For me, introducing science-derived insights into transactional workflows and software applications that people use every day to manage their teams and make important uh, decisions across the org is uh, the name of the game to scale your influence and kind of a insight dissemination out to the organization. To be clear, I think there will always be a a need for the one-stop shop that HR colleagues, managers, etc can go to to research, seek, understand uh, where their orgs are on a backward looking forward looking basis. and I believe that uh, to scale the impact that we can have in um, surfacing those insights in moments that matter based on uh, different points of the the employee life cycle and career journeys that people are on, helpful uh, information bits that are embedded in the workflows related to hiring, transferring, to uh, a retention decision when it comes to uh, keeping star performers from leaving who might be at risk, you can understand some of the individual team org events uh, and data streams that might create a scenario whereby it's helpful for David to know now that uh, someone uh, within his organization uh, looks more ready for promotion than he might realize because he just took over the team. And so, as, as an example, that's hard to put into a static report and hope that someone sees it on the off chance that they go to your site or your product that you built. Uh, but if you're embedding that into the, the the tools or the products or the apparatus that you might have to manage you know promotions in that example, uh, that's uh, that's useful, I think. It might be so... That's where the working backwards from the customer's experience in the product, taking a product mindset would be where I would definitely agree with Prasad. The technology integration that comes with literally integrating people analytic uh, productized you know, outputs into software interfaces, that's, that's a build from a, from a software developer perspective with people analytics teams on a product specific use case. And so, I think the union of the the analytics product and tech for a better employee experience is one that is necessary for impact and for scale. It's interesting actually because
0: listening to you, there Ian, you know, you said something earlier that people analytics isn't just about the business; it's about creating a better employee experience. And it's almost like productization is the way that you can do that at scale, as you said, by you know, by personalizing, by putting it in, helping managers. Make decisions, help help managers. I don't know whether it's promotion, whether it's hiring, whether it's even um, doing a catch up with 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 one of their team, giving them some prompts and some information that, that support that discussion. It really is taking it to the next level, isn't it?
1: I think it is. I, I don't think it's the uh, answer, but I think it's a really important part of the uh, the formula to to do those things you mentioned, David, and to uh, in many ways, uh, you know, think about uh, how you you might teach culture at scale. Here's how we think about managing performance or paying people or hiring them. And uh, here's how we teach managers uh, through our products in those moments that matter where you rely on high judgment and perhaps experience of having been in this org for, you know, five, 10 years. Once you've had a couple of laps around the track, you get it culturally. But in, especially now and uh, during the pandemic, especially and kind of, what I what I would dare call post pandemic, we could debate that one. I think it's really important to think about not just the product side, but the humans that are using your products. The managers, in, in in large part, are are culture carriers for you. And if you're relying on the manager's interpretation of data and insight to inform his or her judgment to make a better decision. Management capability, leadership capability, the culture we want uh, to kind of carry forward in that conversation is, is a really important piece of it too. So I think productization turns the, uh, the conversation of management effectiveness and, and kind of culture into one that, um, that you can measure a little bit more so than you used to. And you can, uh, you can help improve perhaps a little bit more tangibly and tactically. Uh, in ways that uh, previously were probably more theoretical and uh, and maybe out of reach for some orgs.
0: Can you share sort of some examples of people analytics products that, that you and the team have delivered at Amazon, or maybe some previous companies where you've worked? Obviously, only the ones that you're be able to share with listeners.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll do my best here. I think one that uh, I I really enjoy talking about uh, and uh, is super relevant, I think, for any org is on the. The recruiting or the talent acquisition talent curation side when you think about orgs of any shape or size or, or maturity for that matter uh, there will probably be key roles that are important for that org to hire often uh, and to get right and in the tech space you, you could point to software developers or software engineers as that sales uh, Frontline uh, healthcare workers, if you're in healthcare, uh, tellers uh, at at banks, if you're in a financial services organization, and if you're hiring for a critical role and you're hiring with volume and velocity, that's a real challenge to recruiters, right? And so, uh, a lot of um, independent software vendors uh, have created some data science-oriented solutions to this. At JP Morgan, we 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 built uh, an ML product that plugged into The front end of ATS was Taleo or JP Morgan's and Oracle Shop. So if you have 100 applications to a role and there's must-have critical skills, experience certifications that you can write down and label and look for, and you would rely on recruiters to do that and sift through a pile of 100 or 500, uh, can you look for said must-haves with natural language processing and understanding and Create a simple scoring rubric to to sort rank resumes in ways that uh, are useful for recruiters to kind of turn a pile of five hundred into a shorter pile of fifty or a hundred of a uh, hundred uh, pile into a pile of ten. So again, not making decisions uh, for recruiters, not auto hiring, not uh, doing anything that you need humans to uh, be the arbiters of, but uh, to to shortcut that process and create you know, 33% gain in efficiency when it comes to uh, time from resume review to phone screen or phone screen to offer. And do those who are made those offers stay longer? Like We, we had a, a great success story at JP Morgan where we saw recruiter efficiency uh, go up. They reviewed fewer resumes. They got higher quality hires who stayed longer and performed better. So you can embed that type of uh, intelligence and validated IP throughout the hiring process when it comes to interview rubrics. Uh, Google is famous for this. And uh, as well as the, the full kind of array of, of talent decisions that you'd make when it comes to onboarding, promoting, paying, uh, retaining, uh, mobilizing, growing your, your workforce. So uh, so I think the solutions, they can uh, range from, I'd say productized and and you know complex when you think about applied data science and, and product integrations. Um, and you can also think about the more simple, maybe within reach kind of analytical solutions when it comes to like metrics, forecasting, and and how that uh, lands on the desks of HR leaders and, and business leaders in a consistent, you know, single source, hard to argue with uh, type of way. Uh, so for that reason, I, I think that back to the, the breath coming earlier, I think orgs of course size and scale and maturity would probably relate to some things I'm saying here, but orgs that are newer in their journey perhaps smaller in size and uh, might consider uh, people analytics out of reach I think uh, I think that's definitely something we should debate more and I would say that it's not as far out of reach now it's more in reach now than it ever has been so we hope you're
0: enjoying this episode of the digital HR leaders podcast if you are looking to continue your learning journey head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data driven, more business focused, and more experience led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. And if we think about the skills and capabilities required to productize people analytics, what do you think organizations or, or people analytics leaders such as yourselves, what, what do they need, particularly need to pay a t- attention to?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's four or five kind of capability areas. Like I've, I've always built uh, my teams around four or five kind of common capability areas that I think any analytics team worth its weight in salt uh, would embrace. One is uh, data engineering. Where's your data coming from? How do you land it? How do you organize it? How do you securely store it, create permissions and create, uh, you know, transforms that are uh, science and, and uh, business analysts ready for, uh, for inspection and organization. Second capability is that is that analytics layer. Your analysts, your business intelligence engineers, people building uh, reports, rapid response to executive queries, dashboards, uh, building those self-service uh, data products that uh, leaders and teams can use. Super critical. Third, and this is in no particular order, by the way, I would point to your uh, applied data science. This is model building, predictions, forecasts that can then be put into production and integrated into products such as existing HR software or something you might build in concert with the software development team. I think that applied data science piece, we could talk about like software development as an extension. Uh, I think really, really talented applied scientists and data scientists uh, can, they index into some of the software development skill team. Areas, um but uh, but I think that's usually a partnership uh, in, in any org I've ever seen. The fourth area is what I would just call primary research. Think IO psychology, think um, listening, survey work, focus groups, interviews. If you're um, pulling a number of data streams together, organizing them on the back end with your engineers, uh, transforming reporting on that with your analysts and model building and predicting ultimately to influence an outcome in the org, are you talking and researching your hypotheses with human beings that will ultimately use your product? If you're not doing that, I think that's a miss. And your researchers are uh, often extremely talented partners when it comes to working with product teams and helping to translate uh, findings into words and statements and uh, and takeaways that leaders can absorb and get behind. So I think there's adjacencies with product management and program management that often come with, with uh, your research capabilities. And then the, the fifth area, you know, something that uh, Amazon is pretty famous for uh, is its focus on applied economics and uh, looking at causal evaluation, measurement, experimental design. Uh, so that's that's something i think uh, depending on why your org is 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 uh, absolutely worth looking into something we had in place at j p morgan that was a, a fifth area uh, is uh, your uh, you kind of a business liaisons and translators so those are points of contact that uh, can assess the the current state when it comes to uh, the the analytic needs uh, and opportunities in a particular line of business based on what their people plans are to deliver to the business and then to, uh, in turn, kind of point to pieces of your um, people analytic portfolio, uh, whether it's on the engineering side or on the reporting side or on the modeling side, uh, to uh, deploy perhaps against certain problem statements that a business is expressing. That can take on a couple of different, I think, permutations organizationally. Sometimes that's part of the people analytics team. Sometimes that's embedded within the lines and you kind of build processes and mechanisms to, to uh, source and crowdsource perhaps uh, that, that information uh, on an intake basis. But I think that's really important to stay connected to the business and then translate that into how you prioritize your own roadmap quarter on quarter, year on year, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I guess it's that important step. As you said, translation is, is one both ways. Uh, but it's identification and prioritization, isn't it? You know, linked to the the business unit that they're they're closer to, maybe than the core the core analytics team. It is hundred um, percent, really good. Oh, so, Ian, for those listeners that are you know looking to do maybe more experimentation, you know, more productization in people analytics, you know, what are the key learnings and tips that y- you would offer to to help them? You know, based on your based on your experience of doing this for a, for a number of years.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that uh, you, you really need to understand and uh, identify those partner teams that you're going to have to work with. Um, uh, who are the product owners of the uh, software applications that you hope to create uh, an integration with? Who are the tech teams whose roadmaps you're going to need to be on? Uh, what's that ecosystem look like in your org? Um, uh, do you have uh, a tech team that's part of HR or a tech team that's uh, borrowed, so to speak, from a central uh, technology team that kind of runs up and down laterally the
0: organization?
1: Uh, so I think understanding people analytics teams will not get this done on their own. Uh, uh, you'll need to partner with uh, legal compliance product teams, tech um, Line teams, your HR kind of leadership and line organizations from a communications implementation standpoint, so um, rather than presuming to build this all out on your own and get it right from the the people analytics team on out, uh, there's uh, I think uh, a very necessary uh, partnership approach that needs to be taken uh, and uh, and and then kind of uh, mobilize according to the vision that uh, people analytics leaders uh, can bring forward uh, to kind of connect the dots and be a bit of connective tissue across these uh, these partner orcs. I'd also say uh, I think it's it really important to uh, start small and scale fast. Uh, pick your uh, pick your use case and and your problem uh, wisely. Uh, narrow it down. Uh, make sure it's highly measurable. Make sure you know what success looks like. Make sure that you're able to uh, build momentum and manage what will be a more complex undertaking than you realize if it's a first-of-kind undertaking. And the more you contain that within a group of importance, a group where you have good kind of buy-in and executive support, I think that helps you build that productization flywheel and credibility, frankly, uh, in ways that would be very, very difficult and challenging if you were to go out to, to many uh, with sweeping recommendations and suggestions. So that would be my advice.
0: And actually what, what you've highlighted there, Ian, I think is something that's so important in people analytics, particularly for people analytics leaders, I guess, is the ability to manage several stakeholders within the business, both you know, right up up to including C-level, general managers in the business, your own team, IT, finance, legal, um Chros, HR leadership teams. It it really is. It's it maybe is sometimes an undervalued skill, isn't it? That 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 ability to manage those senior and well and range of stakeholders. You it, know, it's, it's, it's a big part of the role.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it is, and um, I think it puts that much more importance on the on, on the vision of if we if we all work together. Here's the kinds of experiences and and, and outcomes we can we can expect if the org happens to already be organized in a way that kind of cuts laterally across all of those functions that's fantastic you have sort of an inbuilt uh, mechanism and advantage to work with uh, but otherwise uh, and more often i think is the case that uh, we find that that those domains tend to be organized as such and you need to plan to kind of cut horizontally across them uh, in ways that that are you know not to be corny about it but that are inspirational but practical and achievable uh, and uh, i think you get farther with um, you'll build this with with vision inspiration and enthusiasm and less so with organizational mandates and and wielding a sledgehammer so i think it's important to uh to kind of look at that as a partnership and, and less as a as a mandate as it were good advice
0: so moving to the penultimate question you know <laughs> Uh, I can't believe we've got there already, but but, but at the beginning of our at the beginning of our conversation, I asked you about your thoughts on how people analytics has evolved, you know, during your time in the in the field. Now, as we come to the end, you know, how do you predict or how do you think that, that people analytics will evolve in the years ahead? And for example, what do you believe the role of generative AI will be uh, in people analytics in in the in the coming years? I couldn't not ask you that question, Ian. I'm afraid
1: the generative <laughs> AI question. Yes. I think the jury is obviously still out uh, but I but I do think that generative AI and and just kind of uh, technology advances that we've seen uh, can create more highly participative uh, notions of how people can uh, share uh, inside an org what they think and kind of create new data streams uh, in ways that we just haven't considered or seen before so I think I don't I don't think there's any area of of kind of uh, of HR, um, how we manage and think about uh, the workforce that um, generative AI uh, couldn't be applied to. I think, again, I, I, w- I would probably go back to uh, the notion of what problems are you solving and why. Uh, are, how are you working backwards from the customer? I think applying a, a new, bright, shiny tool or object or, or approach without uh, first considering uh, what you're solving for and why while doing no harm in ways that you can start small and scale fast on. I, I think we have to kind of put those uh, principles around uh, any new uh, technology innovation that comes our way and uh, make sure we're, we're doing that responsibly. So I think generative AI, AI does uh, really, really dial up uh, the, the notion of uh, very intentional ethics and legality when it comes to uh, people analytics and just applying uh, data to, inform decisions that affect uh, employment in uh, some way, shape, or form. There's a lot of laws and regs obviously emerging around that coming out of California and Europe, and uh, and that's a pretty fastly evolving space. So, uh, But again, I go back to working backwards from uh, ultimately your customers that are going to be receiving uh, and uh, putting into action the insights and suggestions and all the good things that are coming out of your analytics program start there and and do no harm and i think those are really good orientation points
0: and and how else do you see the the field evolving in the in the coming years
1: well i think the way that in-house teams third-party software providers and vendors academics even kind of uh, you know kind of local whether it's state uh, or kind of market-based educational institutions work together i think that there's a lot of opportunity there that we we haven't uh, we haven't realized um uh, I think the build versus buy argument and equation uh, gets a lot more interesting as uh, the the startups. Uh, there's a lot of really, really compelling um, Series A startups out there that are just, they're pressing the boundaries within every kind of nook and cranny of the employee lifecycle that we can think of. And so uh, how you think about the the problems that need to be solved and the opportunities that can be realized by looking at, how HR can kind of grow and, and cultivate and get the most out of its workforce and have that be a great experience for people. There are things that uh, in-house teams uh, perhaps are better positioned for. There are things that perhaps third parties uh, might be better positioned for. And uh, as we see advances in whether it's AI or or new uh, new types of data science, uh, those are going to have to be taken into account and measured as part of uh, how you how you approach problems and the toolkit you use to do that. So.
0: Very good. And finally, in this is the this is the question we're asking everyone in this series, and I think everyone's going to come in with a slightly different perspective and, and background. What steps can HR leaders take within their organization to humanize the work experience?
1: Well, I, I think we've we've heard this is age old, but it's it's important. People analytics is about people, and uh, and it it does affect lives and careers and uh, and not measuring widgets we're, we're we're dealing with with humans and i think sometimes that it doesn't get lost but it it could get out of focus uh depending on the forces at work in the world and and at companies whether it's pandemic related or macroeconomic or return to office layoffs i mean there's there's so much that uh, that affects people and we have no idea uh, really what people are uh, bringing uh, into the workplace every day used to be their lives and perhaps not solving for that, but being mindful of it is uh, I I, I can't see us not doing that and being kind of evangelists to that effect when it comes to uh, what we might in turn measure and deploy and do to help make this part of the experience better. So everybody's uh, coming to work with their own circumstances and those in recent years have gotten, I, I would think a lot more complex just given everything going on in the world and uh, putting a little bit of empathy and humanity on top of that uh, when it comes to our, our people analytics teams is uh, the absolute least we can do to, uh, to to be better stewards of the craft.
0: Yeah. It's back to what you said earlier, isn't it? Do no harm.
1: Yeah, it is. Do no harm.
0: Do no harm. A good way to end our, uh, our episode, I think, Ian. Say, thank you so much uh, for being a, a second time guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Can can you let this listeners know how they can get in touch with you, follow you on social media, maybe find out more about your work?
1: Sure. Link, LinkedIn is, uh, I, I think, the best place. Uh, if uh, anything I've said is uh, piquing curiosity or you can relate within your org, I'm always happy for uh, uh, to compare notes or, or to benchmark. So feel free to hit me up there on LinkedIn. Ian, it's
0: always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for for sharing your your time, expertise and and knowledge uh, with listeners. And uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in person at some point soon.
1: I hope so too, David. Uh, Good to talk to you, my friend. Thanks.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I'd like to say a big thank you once again to Ian O'Keefe for sharing his expertise on productizing people analytics. If you did enjoy this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. And if you want to stay up to date on the latest industry trends and best practices and learn more from us at Insight 222, sign up to our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Take care and stay well.